Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. First letter of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 13, a classic text read at so many weddings. A text many of us know very well. It's such a beautiful passage encapsulating Christ's love for us and what Christ's love looks like in our lives and in how we are to love one another. So one might have expected the gospel reading to pick up this theme. With an equally classic story or parable about loving one another and perhaps the healing power of love, but no. Instead, we have Jesus antagonizing the congregation in his hometown, getting them so enraged they drive him out of town and try to hurl him off a cliff. Hmm. Love, not so patient. <laughs> Definitely not kind, irritable, check, resentful, check, rejoicing in wrongdoing. I'd say hurling someone off a cliff is filed under wrongdoing. <laughs> so what did Jesus do that was so upsetting? His ministry was just beginning. He'd been baptized, he'd gone into the wilderness, He'd walked through the temptations, and he'd headed home to Nazareth. Luke describes Jesus as filled with the Holy Spirit. And on his way home, he teaches in synagogues along the way and is praised by everyone. So when Jesus gets home, he goes to the synagogue. He opens a scripture scroll during service, reads a passage from Isaiah about the good news that God proclaims. The poor will be fed, captives freed, the blind will be healed, the oppressed liberated. And then Jesus preaches the one-line sermon, the line that started off our reading this morning. Today the gospel has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now think about what that must have been like for the congregation, hearing about the imminent fulfillment of God's good news. No, God's great news, liberation at hand, God with us. I imagine they were envisioning a life instantly, a life of freedom from Roman occupation. I imagine they were absorbing the hope of radical healing and the eradication of poverty. And scripture says that in response, right away, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. So how does this people transform from amazement 
and respect into a furious mob marching Jesus to the edge of the cliff. What did Jesus do? He did what they did not expect. He did not follow up this great news with great deeds on behalf of his hometown. Jesus actually says, no, I know you all want me to do this for you, but I'm not. I'm not going to free you, heal you, feed you, because God, the implication here, God is about more than just you. Jesus points to how in Scripture, God's salvation was revealed in actions on the fringes of society, not in the inner circle of the faithful, not within the hometown crowds. He talks about the prophet Elijah and how he did not go to one of the many, many widows in Israel, but rather to one profoundly vulnerable widow beyond the borders, outside of the community. Jesus cites the prophet, example of the prophet, Elisha. He healed a foreigner of leprosy, not one of the many lepers within Israel. He healed someone rejected by virtue of his nationality and even reviled in his foreign country by virtue of his disease. So in an instant, Jesus turns people's expectation of personal healing, of who he is and who God is, on its head. The proclamation is that God's salvation is there for absolutely everyone, not just the privileged inner circle. And so the people of his hometown, they turn on him. The rest of Luke's gospel fleshes out Jesus' radical embrace of absolutely everyone, regardless of, in our words here, where they were at on their spiritual journeys. So Jesus' beloved hometown, not getting what they expected, they have a spiritual temper tantrum writ large. Now just because we all come to church and just because we have faith, there's a message here that, no, that doesn't make us special. It doesn't mean we have the inside track to God's grace and God's love and God's salvation. And our community here at St. A's does proclaim loudly that God's love is for all, that God's love is beyond boundaries. So that part of Jesus' message in his own synagogue, that God's love reaches to the margins, that's not likely to enrage us here. But there's another dimension to consider. We, like the people of Nazareth, are vulnerable to having blinders around our conceptions about God, about Jesus, and salvation. We're vulnerable to blinders about many different dimensions of our lives in the Christian faith. And being here, being engaged with our faith, deepening our relationship with Jesus, means there will be time when the message doesn't feel good. There will be times when our conceptions 
of our faith, of Jesus, of God, of salvation, what it means to be a Christian, there are, will be times and there are times when that will be challenged. We too are likely to have spiritual temper tantrums. Many of us have already had a few, or like me, have had way more than a few. Maybe it's something in scripture gets right underneath us. Maybe something in our worship, something one of us may be preaching about, please don't throw us off the cliff walk. Or maybe it's a difficult encounter with someone else in this community or another person of faith. And maybe our reaction is not to go to the cliff, but to reject Jesus outright, to walk out of church, forget Christianity. In my lifetime, that spiritual fury has often played out in the arena of social justice. We just look at the last 50, 75 years of our nation, and we see time and time again people of faith pitted against one another over whether or how to deal with the huge social injustices of our land. Racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, blocking people from our nation. Environmental justice. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. encountered devastating rejection from a broad swatch of mainstream churches and moderate clergy. It wasn't just the extreme supporters of segregation who rejected him. And that's a part of history we don't like to remember. But I encourage you to go and read the letter he wrote from the jail in Birmingham, a letter he wrote to his fellow clergy men, no women then. And in that letter, you'll see a near mob-like fury that those good-intentioned church folk had against the civil rights tactics of Dr. King and his followers. And you'll see Martin Luther King Jr. turn to scripture just as Jesus did to shine what was likely an unwelcomed light that would challenge the church's blinders. We see it today in the virulent reactions among different groups of faith to how to deal with refugees at our border. And we see it in the larger church, all sorts of denominations of Christianity who've reluctantly started facing the truth of sexual abuse that has happened within church walls. In the Episcopal Church, it was this past summer that the church decided to suspend a statute of limitations on reporting. So anyone who has experienced abuse at the hands of the church can now report any time. Our denomination, we ordained L ordain LGBTQ clergy. We embrace LGBTQ members in the community all the way on up through bishops. And yet the Anglican communion of which we are a part wants to expel the Episcopal Church from the ranks of Anglicanism. And perhaps it's my own blinders that I'm using examples that we are all on the right side of. 
So where are the issues that challenge us? Where are the bounds of what we believe as privileged insiders being threatened by the good news of the gospel? For me on a daily basis, it's the issue of homelessness. I can't get from the parking garage over there into the church without at least one encounter. And what to do? We have debates about it in the office. We have debates about it within this community. We have debates about it in Santa Monica, in Los Angeles, in the county, in our nation. And I do get angry. I get angry at what I see, and I get angry at God. I don't want to have to face this. And I'm angry at myself for not coming to peace after four years of daily encounters with what to do. These are not experiences we would like to have in an ideal vision of being part of church and community and being on our spiritual paths. Sometimes we just want to look at the passages like the one from Corinthians about love being patient and love being kind without looking beyond what the implications of those passages mean. We'd like our encounters with Jesus to be blissful and peaceful and loving, and we often want that just to be about me and my salvation. But the truth of today's gospel is that the good news of Jesus' love and salvation will challenge us. It will make us mad at times. And it will invite us to break down walls we may not even know we have. Walls that may be walls of self-centeredness in our faith walk. Walls of exclusion that we aren't even aware of. We're invited to look at salvation of the broader community. Look at salvation and our call to participate in God's salvific work at the edges of our world. And the big picture, underneath this very difficult challenge, is God's profound love. The invitation here is not to run away from our temper tantrums with God. The invitation is to rest in this knowledge that God loves us beyond all measure, to rest in that and then look at the hard stuff. Look even at the horrible things we may do in reaction to hearing words we don't want to hear. Look at the rigidity that Jesus may be poking at. The beautiful passage in Corinthians does end with the words, love never ends. These are not just aspirational words for a couple getting married. These are words expressing the nature of God's love. That love is patient. No matter how angry we get at God, no matter how much we wrestle with Scripture, with anything else in our faith walks, God's love is there, patient, holding us, enduring what we do, 
calling us into deeper and deeper relationship with God. So let us step out with courage. Let us take off the blinders, unplug the ears, and really listen to words that may challenge us, messages from Christ that may challenge us. Because God is with us in that listening. And as we listen, as we change, we too will move into greater relationship with Christ and greater relationship with God's salvific work in the world. Amen.